Hi, this is Dominic Kearns with the Rising as One podcast. Before we begin, I'd love to thank several sponsors. I'd like to thank the Beautiful Game Network first. You can find all their stuff at bgn.fm. They're responsible for getting many great USL podcasts out, so please give them a look. Also go to firebirdsoccer.net. This is the new website for our former Firebird Rising coverage, so you can find all sorts of great coverage for Phoenix Rising FC and other soccer-related news in the state of Arizona, all at firebirdsoccer.net. And lastly, we would like to thank Roughneck Scarves. Roughneck Scarves is a uh, sponsor for, you know, MLS teams, USL teams, all sorts of other stuff. So go to Roughneck Scarves and find a scarf today. And now let's get on to the show. Hello and welcome to the Rising as One podcast. Jeff Went is out this week, so it's myself, Dominic Kearns, here with Kyle. Kyle, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Dominic. You know, I'm, we had an early match this week and had a great day yesterday, so how are you doing? I'm in good spirits. It's, uh, it's nice to see us finish that home stretch with a win after a couple tough draws. Um, but before we begin, let's just briefly thank our sponsor, the Arizona Sports Complex. Our podcast is presented by the Arizona Sports Complex. The Arizona Sports Complex is Arizona's premier indoor soccer facility on the southwest corner of 35th Avenue and Pinnacle Peak Road in Glendale. With newly installed installed air conditioning, the Arizona Sports Complex is home to youth and adult soccer year-round. Visit ArizonaSportsComplex.com for more information and let them know that the Rising is One podcast sent you. Do you want to jump into this match now? Yeah, let's get to it. Yeah, so uh, a big one on Friday, El Cuatro de Mayo, just before Cinco, and it was a dollar beer night, so we had an incredible turnout, um, actually a club record. I forget the exact number, but I know it was over 7,000 fans at this match. Um, 7,332 fans. I mean, what's your take on that before we even dive into the match? I mean, it's it's awesome, you know, that it was it was kind of warm on Friday. So to be able to get out a crowd like that is great. I think a lot of people there for, were there for the those blackout shirts. And, I mean, even more people probably for dollar beer night. So, And I think everyone was excited for the opportunity to win the Carvana Jeep. Um, I didn't see who that ended up going away to, but I mean, just all the promotions in the match itself, I think everyone was so pumped and yeah, to be able to get our, our home sellout record, you know, it's awesome. And hopefully we can, uh, break that later on this season. Yeah. I think if you get, uh, an LA team into the building, that is always going to help, uh, get people to the park. 
So this match started, and uh, it was nice to see a couple of the people in the starting lineup that we did. Some fresh faces in the starting 11. Among those guys, Victor Vazquez at left back. He replaced Amadou Dia. Dia was out with the red card from last weekend. Um, Joe Farrell getting his first start of the season at center back. Uh, also, Alessandro Rigi. I believe that was his first start of the season. If not his first, then his second. And Didier Drogba up top. So, Also, Jason Johnson getting the start at uh, one of those attacking midfield positions. What were your thoughts on that? I mean, I think it was a bit of an attack-minded lineup. And I, I personally liked it. Um, I mean, to see Johnson starting, I think it's been deserved from his performances so far this season. Um, and, I mean, we saw in this match he definitely earned it and we needed him out there. Rigi as well. I think Rigi, every time last season and this season he's on the field, he's shown his ability on the ball and his speed and just his precision passing. So it was, it was great to see him. And, I mean, yeah, to see the bit of rotation, I think we knew we were going to see it after the red card um, last week to Dia. And, you know, I think that it's something that we need to see going on going on throughout the season because – in this month of May and even in June, we have a bunch of matches coming up and guys are inevitably going to get tired. So it's good to see the rotation and we saw a great match. Definitely. So now that we know the players who played for Phoenix Rising, let's get into the match itself. Uh, and this one did not take long for fans to get off their seats, up on their feet. Uh, a couple chances early on that didn't result in goals. Um, you know, one that comes to mind is Didier Drogba in the 14th minute got a great pass from Colin Fernandez uh, and tried to roll it past the keeper. That shot just missed, though, just past the left side of the post. Um, but a pretty exciting start there. Uh, Jason Johnson got a shot. Didier Drogba had a shot a little bit earlier in the match. So right away, we were on the attack. LA Galaxy 2, who wasn't doing too much early on, and yet they go ahead in this match on a pretty ridiculous goal from Efrain, or Efrain Alvarez. Um, just a ball getting cleared out of the back. And what's weird on this play is um, it was actually the guy that scored their second goal, um, Ulysses Giannis Jr. He went down. He was on the ground. It looked like he was hurt. And so I think a couple of the rising players, including Ricci, uh, kind of stopped for a little bit. They were just frozen for a second. And that's all it took for Mendez uh, just to come zooming out of nowhere. Uh, number 60 for Los Dos. Alex Mendez comes out of nowhere, gets the ball, slides it to Alvarez, who just rips one from you know almost 30 yards out. And it curled away from Carl. Perfect placement. And they're up 1-0. Just such a fluke goal, really. It was. And it, it happened so fast. You know, like you said, that, that player was down for Los Dos. And I think some of our players did kind of pause for a second. And they thought that play was going to stop. And, uh, you know, the Galaxy was able to take advantage of that. They played a quick ball. And, you know, that shot, I mean, that was just a great shot. And, um, yeah, Carl didn't really have much of a chance there. And just super frustrating because, you know, 
it seems like we're falling behind in matches very frequently. And you, you know that if Phoenix can just get ahead on this team, this should be a pretty pretty comfortable win. We're very good at holding on to leads once we get them. And so to see us go down again, that's a pretty tough pill to swallow. However, yeah, yeah go on. <laughs> I, it, I mean, I was just going to say it, it was, you know, it, like it was just a quick sequence that led to a goal. And then I think, like you said, you know, to go down to this team, it was kind of like, great. Now we have to we have to score a goal just to get to level terms. Whereas if we had scored on those earlier opportunities or hadn't given up the goal, then I think it would have been a much uh, easier route to victory. Right. Well, fortunately, we pull one back almost immediately and it's Jason Johnson. You know, who else could it be? We struggle for goals when he's out of the lineup, and he finally gets a start, ends up scoring two goals. And this first one uh, comes off a ball into the box from Alessandro Rigi. I think a, a low-stose player was able to clear it partially. Johnson ends up controlling the ball, takes a shot. It took a deflection, and the deflection actually helped us out a little bit because it Looked like it was going for the post, but then it just curled inside that right post. Uh, the low-stose keeper had no chance on that save, and right away we are level. So that was at the 21st minute. Still a lot of match left to be played, but at that feeling or at that point, you're thinking it's only a matter of time till we get that second goal pull ahead. Absolutely. I think the response was great. You know, that's that's what you want to see when when you get scored on is a quick response, a quick goal to to get yourself back on level playing field. And to and I think we knew that we were going to be able to score against this uh, Galaxy team. We uh, we've seen throughout the season that their defense is not the strongest and neither has their attack. So I think that we knew we were going to be able to get a result from this and to score goals it was just a matter of having it happen and to score immediately after just like that i think that was just a great motivator and it you know it kind of took uh, some weight off of our shoulders and unfortunately that weight came right back on our shoulders over the next few minutes a pretty wild sequence of events after drogba had a shot blocked and then rigi had a shot blocked um didier drogba had a great chance or uh, after Drogba's shot was blocked, he got involved again in the 25th minute, gets past the defender on the left wing, gets into the 18-yard area, plays a ball through for Alessandro Rigi, who has a perfect opportunity to hit it top left corner. He had a lot of goal to work with, and it just went inches over the crossbar so close because the ball dipped onto the net before it even went too far past it. So really just unlucky for Alessandro Rigi there and then moments later the Galaxy come back up the field Ariel Lassiter uh, plays a ball across the face of goal hits the right post bounces and it bounces right in between Vazquez and Farrell I believe just a perfect bounce for Ethan Zubak or uh, excuse me perfect bounce for Ulysses Giannis to just roll it right in uh, kind of unlucky there for Phoenix, and immediately we're down again. Yeah, it was. It was very unlucky, and like you said, that that Rigi opportunity, you know, if we'd put that in and made it 2-1 for us, I think that, that we really would have seen Phoenix kind of take over, 
but you know that didn't happen and and LA was able to respond I think early on this match was just kind of end-to-end you know both teams were kind of just going for it um not kind of allowing space and just allowing uh pat plays to be made so yeah it was kind of a bummer to get to get uh scored on again so quickly after we had just equalized but you know sometimes that'll happen and uh Luckily, we were able to kind of respond eventually. <laughs> yeah, and unfortunately, that response uh, took a little bit longer than we would have liked. Uh, the next goal actually came from Los Dos again. And, you know, we get a couple shots. Johnson, Colin Fernandez getting involved. Um, Rigi getting involved. We're, we're really trying to equalize. And then out of the blue... Los Dos gets a corner kick. Actually, a pretty good shot that had to be saved to set up that corner kick. Um, Efrain Alvarez had a good shot there um, that was saved by Carl. But they get a corner kick shortly after, and Julian uh, Boucher puts it in. Pretty good ball. And Hugo Arellano gets above Victor Vazquez, heads it in to the bottom right corner, and now we're down 3-1. And, you know, frustrating for a multitude of reasons. You know, the first one is, you know, another set piece. We thought that we were getting better on set pieces. And then to concede a goal like that is kind of frustrating. Uh, The other thing, and Mike Watts mentioned this on the broadcast, potentially could have been a foul on Ariano for pushing off on Vazquez. What were your thoughts on that? Um, I would have to say I kind of agree with Mike Watts. I mean, it's... It would be a tough call for a foul there. I mean, obviously, a lot of Los Dos fans would not agree with it. But, I mean, it... All five of them. I think that it... What's that? All five of their fans. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think <laughs> I think that, uh, I mean, to me, yeah, it kind of does look like there is a little bit too much contact there. Um, but, I mean, you know, that, that happens sometimes. That's how soccer is going to be played until we get VAR and the USL. So it's, you know, it's kind of what what comes with the territory. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was – I think that Vasque – I think that if D is there, maybe that opportunity doesn't present itself. But I also think that set pieces are something that our whole team needs to improve upon, not just individual players. And that it's been a known weakness. So that's something that we definitely would like to see improvement on. Of course. And that that really took some of the wind out of our sails. I mean, we were still trying to uh, push for something before halftime. Mike DeFont had one last chance in stoppage time. Um, a good cross in by uh, Didier Drogba off a corner kick, but his header goes above the net. And so we get to halftime down 1-3. And I think myself and Jeff and quite a few people in the stands were... Anger, disbelief, I mean, how can we concede more goals to this team in one half than they had scored in their other seven matches this year? I mean, I kind of, I didn't see the match live, I just watched the highlights, but watching the highlights, I was questioning that myself. Um, I, I'm not, I mean, I feel like, Part of it is 
half of our back line, this was their season debut. Joe Farrell and Victor Vasquez had yet to play this season. Um, so that could be part of it, you know, kind of maybe miscommunications on the field, just not as uh, not as comfortable playing as a unit. But I think also that, I mean, that first goal, it was just a great, great, uh, great shot by L.A. But, yeah, I mean, it's definitely something that is a little concerning because we've been a solid defensive unit so far this season. So to let three in in one half, against a team that had only scored two up until this match. I mean, yeah, it kind of did uh, did leave me a little worried there. For sure. And, you know, it's it's one of those things, too, where I feel like some of their goals were kind of fluky, and we were unlucky to only score one that half. I mean, I don't know how familiar all our listeners are with expected goals with that concept, but a lot of times people chart, you know, based on where shots are occurring like in the box where they're happening on the field and like how the play is going they'll have an expected goals number for each team and it just it felt like the kind of match at halftime expected goals would probably be like two for us and one and a half for them and so to be down three to one at halftime it just didn't feel fair no no, it didn't. And I, I agree with you, actually. I think I think it definitely could have been two. And, yeah, maybe one, one and a half for them. Um, but, you know, I mean, that's not the way that it, it turned out, unfortunately. But I, I think that I think that we saw in the second half um, our team's able to respond. I mean, we're able to respond to any kind of situation. I think we knew that this kind of opponent, we had a great opportunity to come back. I think we saw in the first half, we had plenty of opportunities and yeah, maybe only one of them went in, but if we keep putting the ball towards the goal, it's going to go in eventually. It's going to fall for us. We have the quality players to, to do so. So I think that Carter Owens message was probably just to stick with it, maybe tighten up our defensive shape a little bit. But as far as offensively, I think he just told the boys to, to keep doing what they were doing because eventually we were going to score. Right. And it did not take long in the second half to get things going right out of the break. We get a great chance. Um, and it started by Solomon Asante. He gets a nice back heel ball into Colin Fernandez. And then Fernandez does very well. You don't see him in these kinds of positions in the box too often, but he was able to fight off a couple defenders, slide a ball to his right, and Alessandro Rigi makes up for that miss in the first half, rolls it right in, very calm finish, and all of a sudden we've got ourselves a game. 3-2, 47th minute, so there's tons of time left still. That was huge. I mean, to come out, like you said, quick start right out of the gates. I mean, that's what, we, that's what the fans were hoping for, and that's what the team needed, you know, to get a spark like that, to get us back in the match and to get it manageable. Um, but in, in that run of play, I mean, that was just beautiful, that, that little pass by Asante. And then, yeah, to see Fernandez be able to take the ball to the end line and hold up and then just make that tight pass to Rigi in the middle of the box, and it was just a pass into the back of the net for him. I mean, it was, it was just a great little passage of play. Um, that short passing is something that we we talked about wanting to see early on in the season, and I think I think that that showed right there the advantages that it has. You know, you make quick two, three little passes, and you're able to put the ball in the back of the net. So um, that was awesome. 
Yeah. And I, I think it is important, too, that, you know, a lot of times in all sports, you talk about like the first few minutes after halftime being really important. The fact that we were able to respond right away, because if it's still 3-1 and you get to the 60th minute, even if it's physically capable for our guys to come back, I think mentally you start saying, oh, man, this really just doesn't feel like our night. Maybe we can scratch out a draw. But to get that goal right away, now you know that we can easily come back for at least a draw. Why not go for the win? We still have 45 minutes left. Um, and so things calmed down a little bit. Um, you know, Los Dos actually had several chances where they were trying to play some balls in dangerous spots, but the defense was doing a better job playing the offsides trap. Felt like there were three or four times in a row in the mid-50s where just they were offsides every time. And uh, pretty fortunate, too, because if a couple of those had been onside, they would have had some strong chances to add to that lead. But we get to the 56-minute Ugo Arellano picks up a yellow card. Um, resulting free kick is blocked. Uh, Didier Drogba has a couple chances on free kicks. Uh, nothing comes of them. Jason Johnson actually hit the post um, with the header in the 61st minute. Uh, that was a pretty difficult angle, though. Um, yeah, 65th minute, Didier Drogba had a free kick that just missed. And then... You finally get to pretty late in the match. Uh, Alessandro Rigi comes off for Billy Forbes. Um, Dubose came off in the 45th minute for Mal for uh, James Musa, and he made a positive impact. But we get to the 70th minute, and we get a corner kick that won't be forgotten anytime soon. Uh, were you watching this match? Did you get to see this on on the uh, ESPN Plus? I, I did actually. I, I was able to get get tuned in after halftime, so I, I was watching this on ESPN Plus. And I mean, just just beforehand, when you see Drogba going up and you know taking taking who it ends up being Burke Bakai's son's water bottle and just taking a sip out of it nonchalant and just putting it down on the table, and you know he's exchanging words with them. And I, I believe that um, after the fact, it was said that he told them they were going to score on this corner kick right there. Um, yeah, I mean, it, that was just, I mean, that kind of epitomizes Didier Drogba the person. I think, <laughs> you know, his confidence, his swagger. And I mean, it was, like you said, this corner kick is one that I think we'll be talking about for a long, long time. I think the world has been talking about it. I've seen it make its round on Twitter. Um, I saw BN Sports even posted it. So, you know, major outlets are are seeing this as well. You know, this is just, this is classic Drogba, I feel like. Yeah, you can you can take uh, you can take like Didier Drogba off the biggest stage in the world, but uh, Drogba always finds a way to uh, make people notice his game. And sure enough, it's an amazing delivery. Jason Johnson gets up as he usually does. Just a powerful header off the left post. Thankfully, it bangs in for us, and all of a sudden, three three, and. Uh, a great call by Mike Watts too. Uh, he had mentioned like, "Oh, Drogba, take getting water. What a dog, Drogba!" And then right when the ball goes in, he just yells, "What is in the water? What is in the water in Phoenix?" I just to come up with that on the spot it was hilarious. 
And then Drogba goes to the corner and pours the rest of the bottle on his bald head. I mean, you can't even write that stuff. No, no, you can't. And and like you said, the the commentary along with the scenes itself, it w- it was just played perfectly. I mean, it, it's one of those moments that I think will live in USL history for a very very long time. I mean, it's it's just a highlight for sure. And I mean that. I mean, I didn't even talk about Johnson and his quality on the goal. I mean, it almost looked like Drogba took the corner and headed it in because that, I mean, that header by Jason Johnson was just such a strong header, you know, that he elevated and just directed it right off that post and in. And I mean, that was just, it was so great to see that, that moment right there was when I knew, okay, we're level now. We could easily pull out a win. This is, this match is in our grasp. Yeah. A special, special goal. I mean, it, it felt like that's the kind of goal that you see in, like, a big match. And, uh, you know, after seeing that kind of a goal, I think in a lot of rising fans' minds, this will be a big match that we talk about for a long time. And I think the reason why is because not too much later, we end up getting that fourth goal. Um, Los Dos actually got a few corner kicks when the match was still tied. Um when it was still tied at three, but then a great opportunity set up once again by Jason Johnson off of a reachy corner or a reachy throw in. He gets the ball to Jason Johnson. Johnson plays a great ball for Solomon Asante and you know, Asante with his speed, he takes a touch and Ariano gets there late and, uh, you know, pretty clear cut penalty. Some people were debating, should he have been sent off? Should that have been a second yellow um, I can see it either way. I don't think you can be too upset either way. I mean, yes, he came in late, and I think if you're in the middle of the field and it, or the guy's not already on a yellow, it's it's a second, it's a yellow card. That given that situation, I can kind of understand why it wasn't a yellow card. I mean, he did point to the spot right away, and I don't know how much of it was intent versus it just being a long match and Ariana might have been tired, but. In any case, I'm pretty okay how it turned out. Uh, we get the penalty kick, and Didier Drogba steps up. And you got to be feeling pretty confident about that when Didier steps up. And uh, a pretty vintage penalty on his end. Just that that classic uh, two-step run-up, drills it into the left corner. I don't understand how these keepers aren't preparing for it better. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's uh, it's one of those things that they know what's coming, but they don't know how to prepare for it. And in the moment, they just their mind probably goes blank, and they're just thinking, "Oh, I'm I have Didier Drogba staring me down right now." And right. <laughs> and, and um, I mean, I couldn't imagine myself what I would do in those circumstances. So I I can't fault them whatsoever. But yeah, I mean it. And I mean, maybe, maybe the one time that a keeper does guess right, that's when Drogba doesn't decide to do his, his usual routine and fires it, you know, to the, to the right and the top of the corner. So maybe we see something different from him at some point as well, but yeah, I mean, it's, but I mean, as a Phoenix rising fan, we love it, you know, the confidence and just to see the swagger and him just walk up there and take care of business, you know, that's, that's Drogba and that's what we want to see. So, um. Yeah, but I, I really, I feel like that uh, goalies are going to have to wise up to this eventually. 
the thing is though i think as a goalie like yeah you can see that he's going to your right a lot of the time but he takes it so fast and he places it so well i don't think you can stop it even if you're like ready for it i mean what are you gonna do stand on the right post and just let him roll it into the into the other side like you're kind of stuck in a in between a rock and a hard place there because basically the ref he just blows the whistle and Drogba, the ball's in the net before you can even think. Usually the guys take a slow run up and stuff. And I think that's part of the genius of his, of the Drogba penalty kick is that, yeah, he, he just, he catches you off guard. You're not even ready. You can't even react and it's, it's already in the back of the net. So I think, yeah, I mean, it's like you said, maybe they're just going to have to start hugging the post and hope he doesn't roll it in the other side. <laughs> Yeah, it is wild. Um, but that puts us ahead 4-3. to three, And after that, we're in a really good spot. You see Colin Fernandez come off after a very effective 82 minutes. Uh, Cody Wakasa came on as defensive subs to see the game out. And let's see. I think it was Nate Schultz that came off for Los Dos in the 84th minute, uh, bringing on another Lopez there are a couple Lopez's on that team. This is Frank Lopez coming on, an attacking sub for them. But really not too much to speak of. Um, Los Dos had a few corner kicks, but nothing came of them. The defense did its job. And actually, Solomon Asante almost had a chance to ice it in the 86th minute. Billy Forbes set him up pretty nicely. And uh, a long shot just missed to the left side. So pretty... A pretty clean end to the match. Not too many scary moments for Phoenix Rising, and it ended 4-3. Big win. Puts us, you know, at the time into second place. Uh, now, as we're recording, third, and probably fourth when you guys listen to this because Sacramento plays at Seattle, too. That should be a win. Still, great result. Puts us up to 15 points. And what are your takeaways from this? Um, I mean, it was a great match. I think the lineup is the lineup that we've wanted to see, and we saw the play that we wanted to. Um, I mean, it was a lot closer than we expected and had hoped for, but it was also, it was also like you said, it wasn't that close because L.A. didn't have too many chances in that, at the end, and I think we could have easily put in a fifth, or we should have already had that goal from the first half, so... Um, I think that this was a great victory. It was great to see the resolve from the team to get the comeback after being down by two goals at halftime. Um, but I mean, we also, we want to see the defense tighten up because this, this opponent, it was, I mean, they're last in the Western conference. They're not a team that we should, uh, allow three goals from. So we definitely need to see improvement in that regard, but, I mean, all around, we just need to celebrate this victory. It was a it was a great match, and just to see the the hard work of the team and see as a unit how they can uh, can come back and just play a great match. You know, it was it was just awesome to see. Yeah, I definitely agree. There, it's uh, I mean, you don't want to see too much drama, but you know, on the other hand, these are the kind of matches that you know we'll remember for you know months years to come and we'll be able to tell our friends about you know if you weren't at this match you need to go see phoenix rising matches because we can always point to this and say 
man, if you don't go, you're going to miss Drogba scoring. You're going to miss Johnson putting in a brace. You're going to miss dramatic comebacks. I mean, this team is really like the entertainers now. Uh, I don't know how uh, noted Newcastle fan Jose Bosch will feel about that, but we really do have that fighting spirit this year, that never-say-die attitude. Yeah, we, we definitely do, and I think I think that comes from our manager, Patrice Carderon. I think it comes from him, and the boys have bought into that mentality and uh, and Drogba as well you know I mean they're known for their for their comebacks and to fight till the very end and we've seen the entire team they've bought into it so I mean it's it's awesome to watch as a fan like you said I mean these are the matches we remember this is you know it's so exciting and you know yeah we needed the three points and we got the three points so that's at the end of the day that's what it comes down to but yeah the drama just gives it a little bit more fun Definitely, definitely, definitely a bit a bit of heartburn, but it's worth it at the end of the day, right? Yeah, yeah, it is, and I mean, I'm sure I wasn't there at the match, but I'm sure the dollar beers helped. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> um, well, let's let's get to our upcoming week and preview those matches. We have matches against Oklahoma City Energy on Wednesday, May 9th, and on Saturday at Tulsa. That's going to be May 12th. These are two teams in pretty poor form right now, um, especially the team we're playing on Wednesday. Oklahoma City Energy, only three points on the season, and it was against Tulsa. Since then, it's been seven straight losses for them, minus 11 goal differential, and they really haven't, they really haven't been competitive. So, I mean, you figure they can't keep losing these matches forever, but they're having a really, really tough time scoring goals. And you, you just have to wonder, what, how, how can we not win this match? I mean, granted, they always play us tough. Uh, they're usually a rival. Um, but it's been a really bad season for them so far. And we had our way 4-1 in the earlier match against OKC. You know, this is our last meeting of the season. You know they're going to want to play strong. But, I mean, what do you think? This feels like three points, right? I mean, is this almost feels like one of those things in uh, college football or even basketball that they call a trap game. To where, yeah, this is a game that we should go in, we should win. But OKC, like you said, they, they have, they're on a seven-game losing streak. And they're going to have to get a result at some point. This is an opportunity for them to do so. I mean, being that it's a short week for us. But it's also not because we played on Friday versus Saturday. But, I mean, as far as from Phoenix Rising standpoint, I mean, yeah, this is three points. This is a game that we, we have to go out there and win. Even if it's not our strongest 11 on the field, I think that this team's been struggling and we should be able to capitalize. Yeah, our road form maybe isn't as strong as our home form, but I mean, yeah, this is a team that we could easily beat. I think we already beat them once this season. Um, so yeah, we should be able to, no problem. But it's it's also one of those games that is kind of concerning to me because OKC has been a rival in the past and, and they have been a tough team to play. Um, and I mean, some of their... Some of their matches recently, they haven't been losing by as large margins as they did to us. 
Um, they they lost to Swope only one nil. So you know, um, I think that this is a game we should win, but it may be tougher than the the match on March twenty fourth that we played here in Phoenix. Yeah, um, a couple players to watch for OKC. Uh, you know they have Jose Barrile, and he can be a force. Uh, he'll definitely be a test for our defense. Uh, Igbeaga, Christian Igbeaga, he was the goal scorer against us back in March. Uh, he's a pretty, a pretty tough defender. He can be physical too. Um, but it doesn't seem like a strong attack force for them. I guess they have Jose Angulo. But another thing I've noticed from a lot of these OKC matches is they just aren't putting shots on target. They've been very wasteful this season. And I don't know if that's going to change at any, at any time. I mean, here's another example. In their 1-0 loss to Swope last week, 17 shots, only 4 on target. The match before that, they had, I think, 12 shots, 1 on target. So they're just, they're just wasteful all season long. I think the, the match where they got destroyed pretty good by OC... That was a match where they had, like, 11 and none on target. So, I mean, this team, they really are struggling. They're really not taking advantage of their chances. And I I don't know what our lineup's going to look like, but even if some of our first-choice guys aren't back, I think we're going to get those three points. And I really am looking forward to seeing Dia back because I would assume Dia will be starting after that red card suspension is done. Absolutely. I would I would say he is, too. Um, I mean, he's been a mainstay, I think, since he came to Phoenix Rising, so there's no reason he shouldn't be starting. Um, yeah, we may see some rotation to the lineup, um, but I also think, I mean, Carterone, we know on the road he's he's been one to be okay with a draw on the road, but I think this is a match that he may look at it and say, okay, we can get a win because of the, t- the opponent's current run of form and our team's, you know, great run of form. So I think that uh, a win is definitely possible and to be expected, but I also just think that uh, if we do see rotation, we want to see a quick start. We don't want to see this game be nil-nil going into the 60th minute or the 70th minute because – you know, that's when things could uh, get a little bit sideways and maybe OKC is able to pull away a late goal. So we definitely want to see a quick start no matter who's on the field. Right. Um, and just to keep in mind, this match will start at 5 o'clock local time. Uh, they are two hours ahead of us out there in Oklahoma. And I know that some fans... <coughs> excuse me. I know that some fans are going to be doing a watch party for this match and then going to the U.S. Open Cup match between um, Arizona United and uh, Sporting AZ. So that should be a pretty fun event if anyone listening is going to that. Let us know how that goes. You know, Wish you guys all the best. I cannot be there because I'm going to be graduating on Wednesday. So uh, I will miss all of it, but hope that that goes well. Hope we can get three points. And then Saturday's match for me, is the tougher one, and this is the match where I would be pretty okay with the draw. Um, Tulsa doesn't look like they've had a good season. You know, no wins, seven matches played, only four points on the season, but what you don't see on those numbers, their last four matches have been draws, 
so they're actually in a better form. They're at least a lot more competitive lately. And these have been draws against some pretty good teams. They drew 1-1 against Las Vegas Lights. And that was a match where they had a go-ahead goal called off for offsides. And I did not really understand that call at all. Uh, they drew at Fresno 2-2 on the last kick of the game. They got a big draw out there. Um, you know, against Timbers, too, they managed a nil-nil draw. And against Sacramento Republic. So they've actually they've been very competitive against decent teams. And so anyone that thinks this is going to be an easy win should think again. Uh, this is a Tulsa team that was pretty hot garbage at the beginning of the year. But they've been rounding into form. I think they're just one win away from getting things started. So we don't want to be the team that gives them that win. But let's let's not assume this is going to be a, a walk in the park by any means. Tulsa has lost a lot of their starters from last year. But this is also a team that beat us 3-0 in Tulsa last season. And this was actually later in the year. This is after Patrice Carterone was coaching the squad. This was our one bad loss in the second half of the season. So, you know, this is a tricky one. This, to me, is more dangerous than the Oklahoma City match. I, I agree completely with that. I'm actually looking back at our, our head-to-head against Tulsa from the past. Um, as you said, last season we lost 3-0 there. And then when we were Arizona United even... We lost 3-2 in 2016, and in 2015, we lost 6-3. So we've we've never won in Tulsa. We've never drawn in Tulsa. So, yeah, this is actually a match that, as you said, to get a draw wouldn't be a bad result. Um, I mean, yeah, we would love a win, but they've drawn quality opponents for their past four matches. So to think that they're going to be a team that we can just run over, um, I, I don't think that's that's fair at all. Um, they've always been a scrappy, difficult team to break down. Um, they've only conceded seven goals through seven matches this season. So that's only a goal a match. So they're going to be tough to score on as well. Um, but I know, I think that because maybe we see some rotation in OKC and this is just speculation that maybe we will probably see a stronger lineup against Tulsa. Um, but you know, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, it should be interesting. And you talk about squad rotation. I think the one that comes to my mind and a lot of people's minds, I would be stunned if Drogba plays a second match in four days against OKC. But I, I would be, I could definitely see him on Saturday getting the nod against Tulsa. Yeah, he, he's one that stuck out to me. Um, I think it's fair to rule him out completely of Oklahoma, the Oklahoma City match. I don't think he even comes on as a sub. Um, against Tulsa, yeah, he possibly starts or comes on as a sub. Um, but, I mean, I think even maybe other players we see rotation. But I also think that we see the return of, of Amdou Dia. Um, I'm not sure about Duigi Mala if we see him come back or not. I guess we'll have to wait and see. But, yeah. And a couple players to watch for Tulsa. Um, Francisco Ugarte, their captain, uh, pretty strong in defense. Um, Joaquin Rivas, he was the goal scorer against Las Vegas Lights on Saturday evening. Uh, Jan Perez is also a threat up top. And a familiar face in net, that's Fabian Serda. 
Uh, he was a regular keeper for them last season. So not a team that we can steamroll. I would be pretty okay. I think realistic expectations are, you know, shoot for a win and a draw. But as long as we win one of these matches, I wouldn't be terribly upset if we lose the other one. Um, especially because these aren't teams at the moment that are right next to us in the playoff picture. I'd rather lose one of these matches uh, than lose to like a Sac Republic or someone at the top of the table. And I'd definitely rather have a win and loss than two draws. Yeah. I mean, we, we need three points from this road trip, at least. It doesn't, like you said, it doesn't really matter if, if we get... If we lose one, um, it's definitely it's definitely one of those to where if if we lose three points to one of these teams, it's not going to be a, a six point kind of swing to where yeah if we if we lose to Sacramento, they gain three points, we lose three points. That's going to create a much larger gap. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think a win and a draw is definitely possible. Hopefully, that's that's what happens. Um, but we'll we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, and you never know. I mean. Uh... Orange County was able to win two against those teams and score eight goals in the process. So maybe that's the standard we need to compare ourselves to. But uh, <laughs> who knows? I mean, it's a high bar, but uh, I mean, I think our team is, we have the quality to do it. There's no doubt about that. I, I mean, our our history on the road isn't the best, but I also think a lot of that history, I mean, it's only half the season of last year with Patrice Carderon. So I think that, that we are going to improve. So yeah, maybe this is the road trip that we see us collect six points from two. Hopefully, hopefully. Uh, so yep. that's, that's, that's our preview of the upcoming matches. Now let's go through some important matches around the USL. Uh, it was a pretty busy weekend of USL action, and in addition to our match on Friday, there was a pretty good one out in Salt Lake. Uh, Real Monarchs were opening their new stadium, their Zions Bank Field. Uh, it complies with the Division Two standards, over 5,000 seats up there, soccer-specific, very cool. And the USL show actually did an interview with the general manager up there, so you should definitely... Go back through the archives and give that a listen. That's a that's a team that really gets it. That's an organization that really gets the importance of USL and the importance of having a strong two side while still developing MLS level talent. Uh, it's also a team that gave us our only loss, and they made it tough for Orange County as well. Um, this match went down to the wire. Uh, they went ahead early in the sixth minute. Did Rail Monarchs through Michael Chang. But then Orange County tied it before halftime. Uh, they got a penalty kick, and Aodon Quinn converted that. And the second half, it was petering out. It looked like it was going to be a 1-1 draw. But in stoppage time, Real finds a way. They've done it several times this season. They grind out results, and this time it was one Ignacio Mare with a good goal in stoppage time uh, to give them the 2-1 win. You know, pretty exciting matchup between two teams that we could see in the playoffs. Uh, the stats were pretty interesting, too. It was almost 50-50 possession. Lots of shots and a ton of shots on target. Seven shots on target for Real Monarchs, 10 for Orange County. So these are two quality teams. Um, very high-quality match. 
So good good advertisement for the game there on that Friday night matchup. And Rail opens their stadium with a win. Uh, that put them into first place in the Western Conference, I believe. All that could change if Sacramento wins. Um, what I see right now, them in Orange County, real and um, Orange County are tied. Oh, so Orange County still has it on goal differential. They have it on goals. Yeah, exactly. They have it on. Morel has matches in hand, so. Yeah, exactly. Those two matches in hand, which, which you can assume they're gonna get probably four points from that. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I the one thing that stuck out to me about their stadium, be, besides it being a state-of-the-art facility, was that view. I mean, I don't know if you could really see it, but it is a beautiful view. I don't know what mountain range they have in the background there in Salt Lake, but uh, I mean, it was just that's an awesome stadium. Super pumped for them, um, and yeah, I mean, Monarchs. I think they're gonna be up there in the running for the Western Conference champions again this year because I mean, they've just found a way to put it together with that mix of of young talent and USL veterans. So. That match against them in Orange County, I think that's definitely something that we'll see in the later rounds of the playoffs. And uh, I mean, it definitely didn't disappoint with Real being able to come back and get that uh, get that win at the end. Yeah, and uh, I would I would definitely give a plug for uh, Salt Lake City. I would love to go up to a match there. I've been up to Salt Lake a couple times. Great place, especially if if Phoenix Rising is playing up there at the right time of the year. Those are the Wasatch Mountains up there in the background. Um, and it's just a cool place. People are nice up there. Uh, good soccer fans. And, you know, ideally, go some weekend where the MLS team is also in town. Um, I think I think longtime Bandito supporter Marco Medina is moving back up there with family. So I'm sure if you had any questions, you could give him a holler. And uh, that's definitely one of those places I want to go. Maybe for a rising MLS match someday. Yeah, that w- that would be sweet. And you know, it's it's still close enough that yeah, you can make a make a road trip out of it and see see a great part of the country. So yeah, that would be really cool. Yeah, that and I think Allegiant Air has some cheap flights out of the uh, the uh, the airport in Mesa. So just don't pack too much, and you'll be all good. <laughs> Carry on only. <laughs> Yeah, well, let's let's not make this a travel show up in and of itself. A um, couple other matches around USL this weekend. Uh, another one that popped out: San Antonio FC gets a big three points. They end Fresno's six-game unbeaten streak, and they get a two-one win at home in San Antonio. Uh, this was their first match since they released Craig Tierpak. Um, so a little bit different look for them. Alex Bruce plays up top for them. They score in the 20th minute. Fresno FC, though, they respond as they have done all season long. They get a goal in the 63rd minute. Jamal Johnson, the man who did it to us, he comes through. But then four minutes later, Kyle Rainish, the keeper, uh, I didn't see this, but I guess it was an own goal um, in the 67th minute. And that gives San Antonio the 2-1 win. Um, I'm sure a couple people listening have seen that, and they can fill me in on the details, but uh, that's a that's a big win for San Antonio there. 
puts them on the edge of the top eight. And you know what? It, it sounds like a San Antonio player had a shot that hit the post and it just bounced off the keeper and went in. That's really unlucky. Yeah, that's, that's very unfortunate from a Fresno standpoint. And, and we were talking about it before we recorded. I think, I think Fresno's had a lot of bad luck this season. You know, um, I know against Tulsa early on, they lost, uh, or they didn't lost. They gave up a win and it ended in a 2-2 draw on a late Tulsa, Tulsa goal. Um, that happened with us when they played us also. They gave up a late Solomon Asante goal in that 1-1 draw. Um, and then, yeah, to give up that match on an own goal that bounces off your goalkeeper to San Antonio, you know, that's, I mean, that's huge, uh, huge loss there for them. But for San Antonio, I mean, we we talked about it. We knew that this team would eventually uh, find their form at some point this season, and it seems like they found it now. It definitely does. Um, other Western Conference matches, I think those are the biggest ones, but around the conference you have OKC Energy losing 1-0 at home to Swope Park. Colorado Springs and Reno play out a 0-0 draw. St. Louis and Portland play a 0-0 draw in St. Louis. That's a big result for Timbers 2 after they beat Sacramento 2-0 on Wednesday. This Timbers 2 team is looking like the real deal. And you know, we talked off air about Kendall McIntosh being solid, but it looks like they're scoring goals now. I mean, do you think this team's in it for the long haul? You know, I, I'm trying to be optimistic and I think, I really think they could be. I think that this team, I mean, I'm not saying they're going to be in the top four when it comes to playoffs, but I think they could make playoffs this season. I think they could be right in there at that hunt in the, the eight, seven, eight, nine spot. Um, but I mean, yeah, we've definitely seen an improvement from last season. They're scoring goals now. I think last season that was really their Achilles heel was they couldn't score many goals. And then when teams would put goals in against them, they'd kind of just lose hope and give up. Um, so yeah, to see, to see this kind of performance early on, I mean, we're at about the quarter mark of the season, you know, this is this, we're kind of seeing where the table is going to be. At least that's what we think. Um, I think that Portland is definitely going to be one of the better two teams this season. Yeah, and it's it's really refreshing because you look at a team like a Los Dos, you look at a team like Rio Grande Valley or Sounders 2, these two teams that really just are showing nothing, you know, nothing other than they're just playing these games, trying to get their guys time, but they have no intention of doing anything, making playoffs, giving their fans any reason to go, other than either you're just that diehard and you care that much. So to see Timbers not only winning matches, but it looks like they're playing some fun matches and they have a lot of fun players that are pretty young up there. Uh, it's nice to see them. And also, they're they're getting some shutouts this year. They got a nil-nil draw at Tulsa. They got a nil-nil at St. Louis. Those are the results that, in my mind, I see those and I say they're taking that next step. I think they are going to be in that hunt down to the end. It should be fun. Absolutely. And I mean, as far as, you know, for for the Portland Timbers, two fans and the players, you know, I'm, 
I'm super happy for them because they had a difficult season last season. You know, they, they I think they were able to end the season with one or maybe two wins. So, yeah, to, to be able to start off the season like this and be in this kind of conversation, you know, that's that's great for them. And hopefully they're able to uh, to keep up the hard work and we'll be seeing them later on. Yeah, I think they're already almost at their point total from last year. So imagine that. I mean, it's good, good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> Um, yeah, and then the the late night match yesterday, Las Vegas Knights Tulsa Roughnecks, um, the most predictable result that anyone could imagine here. It's one one draw, uh, and a red card for Las Vegas. Um, if only there was some way to make that a parlay. I mean, that's. <laughs> I, feel I like- was just gonna say. I mean, it's it's like death and taxes. A Las Vegas red card. It seems like it's just expected at this point. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you got you got their coach who ended up with a seven-match ban for uh, pointing at a referee at the end of that Sacramento loss from last Friday. Um, and then here you get, uh, they are in a winning position. They give up a goal. It's a red card. And I did see this one. It looked like a pretty bad challenge. I don't know if it should have been a straight red, but I think the guy was on a yellow regardless. So... Uh, and then Tulsa almost took the win there. But, you know, pretty predictable stuff down there. Um, Sacramento plays Seattle on the road today. That should be a win for Sacramento, we are assuming. Um, and then let's see if there were any Eastern Conference matches of note. Indy 11 beating Louisville City. That's a pretty good result for them. That was in Indianapolis. And I think that was Louisville's first loss of the season. Um, if not of the yeah, entire season, it was. it was okay. It was, yep. So uh, that's that's a pretty big one. And then Cincinnati just—they've been on a roll this season. They are getting it done out east, and I believe they have taken the top spot from Lou City. So the rivals are going neck and neck out there. Yeah, that that should make for an exciting Eastern Conference race. I think. I think that uh, FC Cincinnati is a better team than they were last season, so hopefully they can compete with Louisville. Yeah, and that that win also puts Indy into a solid playoff position. They are sixth place out there. They're doing better than North Carolina FC, who still has not reached the top eight this year. Uh, Let's go through the Western Conference standings now. We have Orange County at the top with 16 points from nine matches. Rail Monarchs with... 16 points from seven matches. Phoenix Rising with 15 points from eight matches. Swope with the exact same record, 15 points from eight matches. And Sac Republic now, exact same record at 15 points from eight matches. That's goal differential. Uh, the only difference between those teams, we have the best goal differential there. Down in sixth place, it's Portland Timbers 2 with 14 points from nine matches. St. Louis with 13 from eight matches. San Antonio with 12 from 8 matches to round out the top 8. And then down in ninth place, Colorado Springs with 11 points from 10 played. Fresno with 11 from 9. Las Vegas with 10 points from 7 matches. Reno with 9 points. Seattle Sounders with 7. Rio Grande Valley with 6. Tulsa with 4. OKC with 3. And Los Dos with 3. So that rounds out the Western Conference standings. And I think the takeaway here is 
there's just a lot of parity at the top. I mean, you look at those bottom five teams, you can write them all off. Maybe Tulsa can scratch their way back in. But other than that, it's pretty wide open. I mean, five points separating first from 10th place, that's unheard of. Yeah, and it speaks to the competitiveness of, of this USL. And I mean, maybe the, the Eastern Conference isn't quite as tight as the Western Conference is, but I mean, this Western Conference, yeah. I mean, in in the top eight, it's, we're separated by four points. So, and I mean, from top, what, from three to eight, we're separated by three points. So yeah, one match could really change the look of the standings. Um, but this is awesome to see. Hopefully this continues because... You know, if this is the case as the season comes to a close, it's just going to make that final day very, very exciting and tense. Definitely agree there. Um, and again, we're most likely going to see Sacramento Republic in first place by the time you all are listening to this. At this point, uh, do you want to do supporter section questions? Absolutely. All right. So we have... We got it out a little bit earlier this week, which is good. And it looks like we have a couple questions, which is nice to see. Um, the first one comes from Justin Vibber at Justin Vibs. I saw a hot take that said Colin Fernandez is good enough for MLS. Would you agree who else on our squad could make that jump? I'll let you take this one first. Well, I mean, there's there's a list of players that I think could take the jump to MLS. Um, Jason Johnson being one, I think he's one that we, we actually talked about last season that we thought he could go after last season. Um, I think he's one player that he could make the jump to MLS and have no problem. Um, Solomon Asante. I mean, he's played at a high level in Africa, which I think he easily could have gone from, from there into MLS. Um, Billy Forbes, as well, I think Billy Forbes could easily play on an MLS roster, and uh, Amadou Dia. I think Amadou Dia, you know, he he had some time in Kansas City with Sporting KC, and I think with another MLS team, I think he would be able to fit in just fine. Um, and I mean, I'm sure that I'm forgetting a few of our players because I mean, our squad is just so so stacked, you know. And I mean, we all know Didier Drogba can play and play well in MLS. So I think I think we have quite a few players, and I think I think we have a lot of players that they're right on the cusp. And yeah, maybe if we see one more great season from them, they also could be players that could easily transition into MLS. Yeah, I mean, I think Asante is the one guy that could actually start for a handful of MLS teams right now. Um, you know, Colin Fernandez is interesting because he actually was drafted by Chicago Fire the thing that might surprise some people, if you look at these players, um, their profiles, a lot of these guys have actually played in the MLS before. Jason Johnson got some experience in the MLS. I think he was on the Houston Dynamo back in 2014. Maybe it, maybe it was the Chicago Fire. But I know that Jason Johnson has played in the MLS before. Um, Asante played... You know, in Africa, they won the Champions League of Africa. And so you'd have to imagine those best teams in Africa. That's playing at an MLS level. So I think he could make a roster. The only thing with Johnson is he is now, like, above the age of 25. And I think a lot of MLS teams 
look more for potential than you know proven guys that are maybe a little above average at the USL level. And that's why it took so long for Dane Kelly, who was just killing it down in USL to go to MLS. Uh, with that being said, I could certainly see Fernandez making an MLS roster. Um, I could see potentially Kevon Lambert if his game continues to develop. And I think that's why Phoenix Rising is a good spot for him because I don't know if he could do MLS tomorrow, but maybe in two years he would be ready for that. And by that point, we could potentially already have the MLS approval and just be ready to get going ourselves. Um, I'm trying to think of other people. You know, Luca Ricci was in the FC Montreal Academy. Uh, if he shows potential, maybe he could make a breakthrough. Um, it's just tough because you never know what MLS teams are looking for. A lot of times they will want to trust their own guys but I, I think there are a lot of guys with the potential to play MLS. I mean, Drogba did it already at a pretty effective level. Mike DeFont had some time with Colorado Rapids. John Berner had some time with Colorado Rapids. So these are... You'd be surprised at how many players at least have MLS experience and they just end up in USL because they can't stick on a first team and they need playing time. But there's a lot of quality soccer out here. You see Sam Dorf saying this all the time. I totally agree. I think at least to make an MLS roster, I I could definitely see like six or seven guys on our team uh, make it in the future. And quite frankly, I think some of the guys at the USL level are better than guys at the bottom end of those MLS rosters who are just being there, you know, mostly because they're young and they have a higher potential. You know, does that does that make sense? Oh, I, I, I kind of agree with you completely, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the USL has quality players. There's, I think there's no question about that, and I think I think the matches this weekend showed that. You know, we had a lot of the top top teams this weekend that played in tight, close matches, but that had great goals, you know, and, and great defense as well. So um, I think that a lot of – I think our team, I think that – it's been built with the MLS in mind a little bit. They're kind of looking, as you said, like Kavon Lambert. If we get the MLS bid and make the jump in two, three years, and we keep him around till then, I think he will be a top holding central midfielder in the MLS at that time, you know, because he's still so young. He has so much time to develop. And I, I think that that is what a lot of MLS teams have focused on because it's so much more cost effective to raise up your own players. And as you said, they might not be as good as some of the top USL guys, but they can raise them up in their academy rather than signing some player on a large contract. So um, it will be interesting to see next season what our team looks like, I think, because maybe some players that we mentioned will move up to MLS teams. But yeah, I mean, a lot of our guys do have MLS experience and the ones that don't, I think that they have the potential to play in MLS one day. Yeah, and it'll it'll just be curious to see which one of them, which players make that jump. Uh, another question comes from, let's open that one up. It's from Joseph Lowry at Joe and Cleats. Is Asante more effective when played centrally or out wide? <sighs> That's a tough question because 
I think he's effective no matter where he is on the pitch. Um, he just has such a high work rate. I don't think that he could really be stopped from wherever he is. Um, I think we've seen him more out wide this season than centrally, but I I just like to see him on the ball. So I think that it will occur more from how we've been playing when he's out wide, which, uh, you know, I mean, I think just his quality of crosses into the box and his ability to break down defenders in one-on-one and get past them is so valuable. But, I mean, he's he's just a multifaceted tool that we could use him. I mean, we don't have to take him off if we make a substitution on the wing. You know, we can bring Billy Forbes on. We can just move Asante into the center of the midfield. So I think no matter what, he is effective. But for me, I think he's more effective on the wing just because he has more space and he can use his abilities better out there. And that's, I would agree there too. I mean, he's been used more in the wing, but you know, what we've seen from him on the wing is he can just rip beautiful crosses in. He can set people up. You know, it's no coincidence, in my opinion, that he was on the wing uh, when Johnson played that ball through to him and he won the penalty kick that ended up deciding the match. Um, I know he can do things in the middle of the park, too. He was in the middle of the park when he won that penalty at Reno when he scored the goal against um, against uh, Swope a couple weeks ago, but you know, the space is why I think he is more effective out wide because when he has a head start with more space to run through, I mean, that's just like, you can't give that kind of a player a head start and giving him that head start just makes him that much more dangerous to score or pass. So I'm with you. I think more effective out wide. So Yeah, but I mean... it. It doesn't. It doesn't hurt that he can be central. I think. Yeah. I mean, he's he's more effective out wide, but he's also just such a such a great player that I think no matter where he is, he can find a way to influence the game. So you know, just, I think that we just need to to enjoy having him on our squad, and you know, just just be happy no matter where he is. But yeah, I think out wide is where Carterone sees him best. And I I know this wasn't necessarily a. Uh... A, a question like a supporter's question but this is kind of just a general question that i think i've seen a couple people throw around online and i think it's a fair question to ask do you how concerned are you by giving up three goals in the first half on friday and do you think it's more just a circumstance where a lot of our, like some of our starters in the back were out or is this a real concern I mean, this is tough because it it is concerning. Um, but that first goal, um, I think that was kind of the circumstances. As we said, one of their players were down. It seemed like our guys kind of took their foot off the gas, and it was just a great goal. So those are going to happen. Um, the other two, yes, those are a little bit more concerning. But, I mean, we haven't really seen these kinds of lapses far this season I think as far as I mean three goals in one half that hasn't happened three goals in one game hadn't even happened up until this point so it's not a time to panic for this team because half of our back line was missing half of our starting back line was missing Mala and Dia were both out um so no but 
I mean, it's also something that we need to see tighten up because Wazinski was in net, and I mean, we want to be confident no matter who's in our back line, that when he's in goal, we have a chance. And to let in three goals in one half, that's, um, I mean, that's a little too high by his standards, I would say. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to me, it is concerning, not massively so, but the thing is, when we get to cup play very soon, I mean, our first our first Open Cup match is going to be May 16th, we're not going to have a first-choice starting 11 out there. In fact, the rest of this month, we're going to be playing on Wednesdays and Saturdays just about every week. So there are going to be times where that starting 11 is not intact. And you can't play Duigi Mullet twice a week for the entire month. You can't play Debose and Dia every single time for the rest of the month. So you're going to have guys that have to plug in there, and we have to know that they can be effective there. And, you know, there were a couple moments where... Joe Farrell just was a little bit shaky and there were, you know, maybe more than a couple moments where Victor Vasquez looked a little bit shaky back there. And you need those guys to be able to come in if this team is going to reach its full potential, you know, in the league, but also in the cup. So everyone wants to see us get to that fourth round and play an MLS team and have a shot. If, if we don't have reserves that can step up back there, we're going to have a short Open Cup run again, just like last year where we conceded two pretty tough goals, and especially the second goal was just a complete defensive lapse. Um, you you got to find a way to get the job done in those situations. So I think, I think Dia and Mala are two most important defenders, and they were both out of the match. So of course things are going to be suboptimal, but still, three goals in one half... It's it's too much. It is. It, and I mean, you're dead on when it comes to the Open Cup and rotation because we we are going to have to see, see rotation. Like you said, Mala's not going to be able to play every match through this stretch. And I mean, neither is, is Dia, DeFont, or DeBose even probably. We're going to have to see rotation at some point. Legs are going to get tired. Um, as far as Joe Farrell and Victor Vasquez, what what... I've been asking myself is is was this rust in this first game or or is it something else hopefully this was just you know uh, you know it's an earth it's kind of a late start of to the season for them and you know they're kind of just getting thrown into the mix and the galaxy the galaxy brought it to us I thought um, not other teams hadn't maybe attacked our defense as much as the galaxy had or at least made it look so um, but, yeah, I mean, we definitely do need to see improvement from these guys because they're going to be called upon a lot over these next couple months. And if if they're not going to step up, then Carderon's going to have to find somebody who can because, you know, it's not going to be acceptable to let in as many goals as we did in one, one half. Yeah, definitely spot on there. Uh, at this point, I think we should probably shut it down, get to closing thoughts. Um what are your I mean, what are your takeaways from, you know, this week just in general? Incredible win. Um, you know, attendance record. It's it's a lot to take in. Um, I mean, I think that for anyone who says soccer can't survive in Phoenix, this match was proof of that. We set a sellout record um the day before Cinco de Mayo. Um 
I mean, we played an L.A. team, which, as you said earlier, anytime there's an L.A. team, there's going to be good attendance. There's going to be that rivalry. We beat an L.A. team who is, you know, they're the second team for one of the historically top teams in MLS. So, And even in MLS, they've been good teams, you know, in the past. So, um, I mean, it's just it's so great for Phoenix. And, I mean, this this squad this season, I mean, it's just they're so fun to watch. You know, they, they're never going to give up. They're always in every match, even when they're down by two goals at halftime. You know, they're they're not going to give up. There's still belief, even when they're down a man like they were against Fresno. You know, we're able to fight back. Um, I just think that we just need to continue on this path that we're on. And, I mean, we're going to have great results down the road. Um, but some improvements, as we said, definitely do need to be made. Um, maybe to the deeper parts of the squad, we just need to see better on-field results. But I think I think that will come, and I think this road trip will hopefully bring that. You know, hopefully this Carterone's able to uh, to get some guys in rotation on this road trip, and they're able to get their season off to a good start, and we can kind of get into these dog days of summer. Right, the dog days of summer might be coming a little bit earlier uh, with all these matches coming later this month. Uh, for me, just fantastic, fantastic fight. Um, you know, hopefully our fans won't be given so much heart trouble with every match just going back and forth the way <laughs> they have. But, you know, you got to love it. Um, and I, this is just one of those matches that how can you not remember this one for years and years to come? Regardless of whether we make MLS, regardless of whether this team ends up doing a lot in the playoffs this season or next, it's just one of those matches that completely validates uh, like your decision to pour so much time and energy into this club because you know that the players are capable of something like that. And we, we really aren't in too many positions where it really is just desperation. You got to go full out attack. Um but they showed me something. I, I did not, I wasn't sure how the team would react in that sort of a situation. And they reacted incredibly. They excelled in that situation and poured forward and got those goals. And they were quality goals too. Everyone showed me something. Fernandez getting up, t- up forward, fighting off defenders on that second goal. Showing strength there. Rigi to score that goal after that early miss. You know, Draga being so cool when the team's losing in the last 20 minutes of the game and he's just talking to a fan and taking water and then to give that delivery. And then Johnson, just what a menace. Uh, thank goodness he finally got to start because he uh, he shows why he should have been in the lineup from opening day. I mean, two goals and an assist. Even setting up Asante on the penalty. I mean just complete performance this team is so great like oh my gosh <laughs> that's, they that's are. all i could say win or lose they're just so much fun it it is and i mean it, it's 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 just crazy to see the progress that we've made i mean if you if you think back as a phoenix rising fan or an arizona united fan even you know just to see this progress itself is it's just so awesome to see that we can have these kinds of matches and these kinds of you know conversations now and to have these aspirations of a team that 
can can perform so well and respond so well to adversity it's you know it's it's great and i think the team themselves they responded well but also the fans you know i mean to be down 3-1 a lot of times that fans maybe would have just kept cheering on but from what i saw on tv you know it was loud at phoenix rising soccer complex there wasn't anyone that uh was not giving their full support to the team so you know i think that if if uh if these results keep up, I think that at the end of the season we'll be we'll be rewarded for it. Yeah, absolutely. And also got to give a shout out to both supporters groups for awesome tifos. Um, someone's gonna have to refresh my memory on the Banditos one, but Red Fury had an awesome solo Asante uh, tifo. Uh, you know, like a very Star Wars inspired uh, solo uh, with his face looking very very serious but i mean just incredible incredible tifo so good work to everyone involved in that um just really really cool stuff yeah it was and i saw that solo one too and i mean on may the 4th you know to to put that out there and i i know solomon asante appreciated that he loves the support from the fans and loves when they when they engage with him. So, uh, yeah, so cool. And hopefully we see that continue into the future. I think both of our supporter, supporters groups, the Banditos and the Red Fury, you know, they both have great passion. And um, hopefully we can just continue to see us grow and progress. You know, I think that Phoenix Rising, um, I was talking to one of my friends this weekend who was watching the match. He was, he was talking about how on TV, how great our stadium looks and how, how it looks like a real stadium and the atmosphere seems like something that you got to check out. You need to go to and go see it. So it's, you know, we just need to just need to keep the faith and just keep it up. And, you know, I mean, this team is thriving right now and it's, it's just great to see. Absolutely. Um, well, on that note, I think that's going to do it unless you have anything to add. I believe we will have our full contingent on next week's podcast. Jeff Wentz should be back on air. And, uh, yeah, until then, I think that's about it. Do you have anything else? No, no, I'm good. I'm just looking forward to two matches this week. You know, we got a hump day match to break up the mundaneness of the work week. So uh, just excited. Yeah, I'm all about that. So, uh <laughs> Thanks again for listening. As always, go Rising, and uh, let's get two wins this week. Yeah. Hey, congrats again on on your uh, graduation, and go Rising. Yeah, thanks. Go Rising. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves. Roughneck Scarves is the official scarf supplier for MLS, USL, and US soccer. So be sure to go to roughneckscarves.com and get some of their products. We hope you enjoyed the show.